Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the last couple of months. We start by speaking with Father Nauras Samur about the situation in Syria. Father Samur is the National Director for Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. And despite the crisis, he has some stories of hope. After that, we'll be speaking with Brother Emil from the Teze community. If you're not familiar with Teze, I think that you will be familiar with their music. On our second half hour, we'll speak with liturgist and catechist Jerry Gallopo about all the baptismal themes of Lent. And we'll end the program by speaking with singer-songwriter and first NCYC's top talent winner, Matthias Michael. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook and Twitter. We begin now with Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. It's impossible to go through a week without hearing about Syria in the news. But what we hear is not always good news. We hear about war, about terror, about persecution of minorities, refugees. But the reality is that it's not all bad news. There are stories of hope. To find out more, I spoke with Father Nauras Samur, National Director of Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. Here's an excerpt of our conversation. Since 2011, uh, when I think most of us started hearing about Syria, that the, there was, you know, the uprising, the the civil war. Can we call it a civil war? I called it a civil war. Yeah. Actually, I have. Yeah. Now I'm I'm much more comfortable of of, tell, of saying that it's civil war than other things, with with international dimension as well. Right. The the figure that I have is that two hundred thousand Syrians have died officially since 2011, but you think the number is higher? I would think, yes, it's higher than 200,000 people killed. Because those who are disappeared, Mm -hmm. we don't have any news. Mm -hmm. Those who are, you know, kidnapped without any news, and those who killed without being identified in somehow. Right. So. So you don't know. Yeah. Now you live in Damascus now. Yeah. How is living in Damascus today? Uh, listen, to daily life in Damascus, it's, I mean, if you go right now to Damascus, you see there's a traffic jam, there are people going, people going around, to work, kids going, going to, to work, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. With the difference of checkpoints, you know, some, some, some roads are blocked mm-hmm. uh, for different reasons, especially for security reasons. And you could hear the aviation, Bombing yes, somewhere, yes. airplanes. You could hear b- b- fighting around. Right. And, in the city? And Yeah. And the city, there's no fighting. Some some areas of the cities, yes, besieged mm-hmm. areas, and mm-hmm. there's fighting. Yes. But, you know, the heart, the downtown of Damascus, there's nothing. It, hap- it could happen that we could receive some mortars as well, launched from yes. the other part. So the front line, it's something from the heart of Damascus, the front line with the first area of fighting, something like four kilometers, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. more. So you, we could hear everything, but life continues. Yeah. That's what I say, it's the phase two, the phase one of the events. I mean, everybody was scared. I mean, they are, we are stuck at home. We don't move at night and yeah. we avoid to go out. That's the first, the f- the phase, first stage. The first stage, the first phase. Now the phase two, I mean, we go around, 
we don't care about tomorrow and we we let's say we live the the present moment yeah the present moment and somehow it's a fatalism yes. which is which is according to me dangerous yeah dangerous i mean you don't care about the future people have if given it's gonna up. happen today let's let, yeah. let it happen yeah i guess that's one of the effects of 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 a war where people get used to it and I mean, I've, I remember reading stories about Beirut when a, a car bomb would go off and people would just check that it wasn't their car and then they'd go to have their coffee. Exactly. Um, because they've just gotten so accustomed to it. Exactly which is not, the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. I mean, that's, 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 that's bad. Yeah. That's bad, yes. Now, the work that you do with Jesuit Refugee Service, tell us a little bit about the organization. It, it's, it's been around for... 30, it's going to be 35 years, since 1980. Yeah, exactly. What is the goal of the organization? I mean, it started in 1980 with the boat people phenomenon, you know. From in, Vietnam? In Asia Pacific, uh, for, uh, yeah, that region. Uh, people coming from Vietnam, going to Thailand and to other countries at, mm -hmm. uh, at that region. And it developed thanks to a letter sent by Father General at that time, Father Pedro, Pedro Arupe, who yes. sent a letter to all Jesuits from the, that region, telling them to welcome to those refugees and to help them, to do something mm -hmm. for helping them. And that was the first moment of the JR, yes, Jesuit Refugee Service. Now it developed, now we have 10 regions mm -hmm. in all over the world, worldwide. Uh, Northern America, Latin America, Southern America, and Europe, four regions in Africa, uh -huh. one in Central Asia, one in Asia Pacific, and the last one was the creation of uh, Middle East and Northern Africa, our region. That's right, and you were the director of that region exactly. for, for the last four years or so. Yeah, and it started just to help Iraqis. So it started with the Iraqi in, crisis. Yeah, yeah, in 2008, and then uh, because of the events in Syria, it developed a lot. Now our region, which is the last one, and it was considered like the smallest one, uh -huh. it's the biggest region, the unfortunately. Biggest. Because I mean, you have more refugees coming from that region? I mean, in terms of population serve, we serve something like 35% of the whole refugee community we serve mm -hmm. in all over the world. Mm -hmm. And in terms of budget, we are the biggest budget. In really? terms of the... Um, let's say, involvement of Jesuits who are the biggest number of Jesuit working, and in terms of involvement of volunteers and uh, staff, we are the biggest number as well. Right. So that's it. And is your work, would you say that the work is still uh, qualified as to welcome and to serve the to refugees? Accompany, to accompany, to, to walk accompany, with. exactly, and to serve and to advocate their own rights mm -hmm. as refugees and displaced people. So to accompany, it's about how it's n we are not a machine, I mean, a supplier of services. We are people working with people, human beings working with human beings. Mm -hmm. So we're not a supplier of services. So it depends on the way of welcoming those people, the way of, uh, you know, just uh, taking them as people, human beings, suffer in mm -hmm. suffering. Mm -hmm. So just to, to listen to them, to be empathic with them in somehow, that's the aim. What, wh whatever the service we could offer, if the way of offering that service, that makes the difference. So you, you might still provide the service, let's say giving them clothing, but how you do it is different that's than... Exactly. It's about how to do things, not uh, what to do. Mm -hmm. How is the threat of 
Islamic State, ISIS, affecting the whole situation? You know, I mean, it's, it's something we could not tolerate. I mean, it's not acceptable at all to have such a powerful and attractive ideology mm -hmm. in the 21st century which calls people to kill others who are not like them. So why is it so attractive? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can't understand. In, 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 in everyone, in each one of us, maybe there, there is a small grain of fundamentalism, mm -hmm. of uh, fanatism or whatever. But, you know, the, 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 the culture uh, calls us to, to just to, to befriend that grain and to be a social with others in, mm -hmm. you know, a sociable human being with others in the society to build together. Whereas for those people, it became a beast. It became, you know, just... Uh, right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not about only the right of minorities. They are against everybody. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they are against Muslims. They are against Christians. They are against different community of Muslims. They are against everybody who's not like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria, what would you say is your greatest challenge right now? For me, my biggest concern is security. Mm -hmm. I mean, working in a such condition of uncertainty, I mean, with, uh, I would say, randomly death mm -hmm. daily. So security of our staff, of our people, of our population staff, that's the first concern. Because death, and uh, it could happen everywhere, I mean, wherever, for whomever, uh, whenever. Yeah. So that's my biggest, my biggest concern. And so, uh, but you don't mean for your own staff, uh, as you mean in for, general? In general, but especially but for especially my own, for staff, own staff, my own staff and my, my own. I mean, when it's about, I mean, you hear about mortars fallen in the area where we have centers for children. And you call and you know that the half of children, they didn't reach yet our center. So you, you are, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried. bit, yeah. Well, worried. we hear about even priests or religious being kidnapped. Like you, your targets as priests, that, that must be something you we have lost day. as Jesuit uh, six months yes. ago, seven yes. months ago in, in old homes. Yes. He was uh, savagely killed without any reason. And God knows the way he worked for reconciliation and for being with, with, mm -hmm. with his own people without leaving the old city of Homs, mm -hmm. the residence of Jesuit, yeah. to be in the service of everybody. Yeah. Now, despite all of that, you have hope. That's how I started the program, saying that we had stories of hope. Um, and it's hard to focus on that, but we have to. So there must be stories every day, uh, families that you meet, people that you meet that give you hope. Tell us some of those. Let me tell you two, two things. Uh, in uh, Ramadan uh, 2012, that was the very uh, first uh, big fighting within Damascus. Mm -hmm. And we got people around in the parks, you know, without shelters, without anything. And we went around with some of my, of my, of our volunteers, uh, bringing some, something like 800 uh, falafel sandwiches, very uh -huh. popular, you know, yes. in Syria, just to distribute to some Jews. Yes. And when we were going around for distributing, I met a lady, something, she was something like 75, with only two bags, 
with concumber and tomato coming uh -huh. to us saying, that's my capacity to help, so please accept that. And she was a Christian lady uh -huh. helping, you know, Muslims during Ramadan. Right. Another story, it was the distribution of clothing the last Christmas uh -huh. in 2013 and 14. Yes. And distribute, you know, kids, clothing kits for children, something like 2,000 children, 1,500 1, children. Uh -huh from of something like 1000 family mm -hmm. and uh, you know we distribute the last day of distribution uh, we gave to two children with the mother and it was the last day the very next day we received a visit from that family children with new clothes uh -huh. the mother and the father with the handmade cake and it was a muslim family yes to wish us Merry Christmas. And to thank you, yes. So you see, that those, those kind of stories, for me, it's a, a source of hope. To so keep you going. And yeah, it's worthy to keep on, to, to, to carry on and to continue our struggling for peace, I would say. Yes, and our I guess- for peace. And I guess prayers are also good. So we will pray for you and we will do what we can to help the work that you do, Father. Samur, it's been a great pleasure having you here. Thank, thank you, you for much. the work that you do and, and come again. Thanks, thanks, thank you very much. Father Naura Samour is the National Director for Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. To find out more or to help, you can find out more about Jesuit Refugee Service at jrs.net. You can also watch my full conversation with Father Samour by watching Perspectives on Roku or on demand at saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives. Here now from Teze is Per Kruchen from their album Ubi Caritas.
That was Per Cruchem from the Teze community's Ubi Caritas. As France prepared to enter the Second World War, Roger Schutz, a 25-year-old Swiss man inspired by the gospel ideals of reconciliation and fraternity, sought to establish a community of men where kindness of heart and simplicity would be at the center of everything. What started out as a small group of brothers living out the gospel in the remote French village of Taizé has today blossomed into a vibrant ecumenical monastic community where more than 100,000 pilgrims visit each year. Taizé is well known for their music, but it is much more. Brother Emile, a Canadian with the community, was back home last year, and I had the chance to speak with him. Brother Emile, thank you for staying 10 minutes longer just so that you could talk to me. It's been, I think it's been four years since we last spoke, but I know you come to Canada every year, and I'm sure you go to other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, can I say promoting the message of Teze? Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe just to be. <laughs> which is, <laughs> with which people. Maybe which, it's the message of Teze. That is the mes- <laughs> okay, wait, okay, so wait. So for people who are hearing Teze, and I know people have seen the word and I've heard them say, what is Teze? Yeah. What is, what is Teze? What's the name of the village? Tiny village. Only about in 120 people live there in France. In France. In Burgundy. Uh-huh. Uh, wine area, Burgundy. Yeah. And, uh, and it's where, where someone started a community. It's called the community of Taizé because of the village. So the village is Taizé. And you'll tell me who started this <laughs> in, a, in a moment. Uh, but this community has grown. Yes. And now everything that's associated to that community, primarily the music, and we'll talk about that, is referred to as Taizé. Yes. Music or the Teze community? Right. Correct. Yes, the community is the bro- brothers of Teze because we're about a hundred brothers, and then you have what goes on in the village of Teze w- with the gatherings that we started with right. young people that go on practically throughout the year now. Okay. Uh, from at least from February to November, there are maybe a hundred thousand people who come every year to spend a week. Spend okay. a week. So the community was started by Brother Roger. Yep, the founder is Brother Roger. Uh, he was Swiss-born. Uh-huh. At the age of twenty-five, he decided to leave Switzerland. Uh, much to the dismay of his family, because uh, why leave a country that is neutral to go to a country that is at war? Why, why make your life so more difficult? So this was during the Second World War? 1940. The war had started just yeah. a few months earlier, and he felt that he had to go to a country that where there was difficulty, strife, and, and to welcome refugees. He, he had heard about the political mm-hmm. refugees. He had heard about the Jews that were escaping, and so right. he, he opened his home. Uh, that he had just bought in Tizay, 1940, he opened it to political refugees. Okay, and then that was the beginning of what now is this huge community of 100 brothers? Yes, yes, that was the beginning, the very humble beginnings of Tizay, and he was alone for two years, then, then three brothers came, and there were seven, ten, twelve, and, and then young people started coming. Right, and it's an ecumenical community, so Bro- Roger was not Catholic. Yes, the beginning, uh, Brother Roger uh, was from the, a, a Protestant family, a church of the... Calvinist church. His father was a pastor. Okay. He had heard many sermons, many, many sermons. He didn't want to hear more sermons. <laughs> right. he, wanted, he wanted life to speak about, uh-huh. about, about joy, about hope, about trust. And, yeah. and that's what pushed him to, to start a community. Okay. Because his attraction to life. Right. Now, you are Canadian. Yes. When did you join? I joined in 1976. Okay. Uh, I'd been in 1974 for a week and then went back for a year as a volunteer, and then at the end of that year, I entered the community. So what attracted you about Teze? Well, when I was very young, I was invited to go to a Teze weekend in Canada. I'm from northern Ontario, right? and I had no idea what Teze was, but someone said, you'll be interested, go. And so I went, and, and uh, I think 
what touched me most deeply was something that has to do with the resurrection, really, the resurrection of Christ, because I, I, I think that entered my soul very deeply that joy is not just a feeling. It's not, there's, mm -hmm. Christians are not about an artificial kind of optimism, mm -hmm. but there's a foundation to joy, and that Christ is risen from the dead. Death has been conquered. That, that was something that entered me at a very young age, and I realized this is, this is the most important thing I've ever experienced. I've got to go further. So you experienced that at that Teze gathering when you were 17, 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, presumably that was, it was a, a, a gathering like they have them now with the music? Yes, there were, it wasn't exactly the same kind of music, but it, it, there, was, there was prayer with song and mm -hmm. uh, silence and, and there was discussion and what friendship. What do you think it was about that meeting that made you think about the resurrection? I that, don't know. I remember waking up, being 17. realizing that there is something greater than death. That there is something, and that, that entered me very deep. And so I was happy because later on I was able to study some of the theology of the resurrection mm -hmm. and work on that quite a lot. But I realized that entered my heart at a very young age and, and determined really the rest of the path I was going to take. So, in, in summary of the question, what, what, how did that genre of music, if we can call it a genre, how did it develop? I think that Tese music was created, composed, partly because we were very frustrated, mm -hmm. Brother Roger in particular, with the, oh. with the, impossi the impossibility of praying with people who have, don't speak French, who don't, who don't know what the singing of the Psalms is about, or the okay. singing of hymns, and we have to find something easier. And so that's how we created these very short songs that are known as the songs of Teze. Now they were maybe sometimes in the form of a round, or, a, right. or what's called a nostinato, something you could repeat over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And, uh, when we had one or two of those songs, we realized we can pray in a slightly different way now with people. People will participate. In a few minutes or seconds even, they will learn the melody. So even if they don't speak the language? They don't speak the language. There are only three words, Veni Sancti Spiritus, yes. or there's Yubi Latte Deo, two yes, words, no? Yes, la, uh, Latte Deo. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. And so you, 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 you can participate in the prayer. And, and, and that was the aim, I think, is that people be participants in the prayer. And at the same time, there was also in, in our community, largely because of Brother Roger, I think, uh, a desire to be honest with yeah. the human condition, not to have music that would be, ah, it's easy to have faith, it's easy to be trust in God. We know it's not like that. We know there's a struggle often to trust. We, mm -hmm. we have fears, we have doubts. And Brother Roger wanted music that would be honest with what mm -hmm. we are about as human beings. Know that we go by night, we don't see, we don't have visions, we don't see God, we don't see our hope. We grope, we move, we inch mm -hmm. our way forward, we, we start over again, we fall, we get up. Uh, faith is like that, isn't it? And, and, and so, so he wanted a music often in the minor key. There are a few joyful songs yeah, in the major yeah, yeah. key, but off, many are in the minor key. And I think people connect with that. They say, oh yes, my life of faith is like that. No, I'm also, yeah. I, I don't have visions, I don't see, I, I need to grope also. And, and so they felt that they could pray with just yeah, the music helped them. We go by night. We sing those, those words of St. John of the Cross. Yeah. De noche yes. in Spanish. De noche iremos. De noche. We yeah. go by night mm -hmm. without vision. Uh, we sing lots of words about trusting, about being thankful, about things that maybe don't come to us spontaneously all the time. Was Brother Roger the composer, or was it, how did they get written? Well, Brother Roger is the one who really asked one of our brothers, who was a medical doctor, actually, oh, who, yeah. who had a passion for music, to, to think of, of ways of, of praying with people. And he approached a composer in Paris, Jacques Berthier, 
was an okay. organist. Who was an organist for the Jesuits in Paris. In okay, because Jacques. So I know Jacques Berthier because his name is something. He's a, his name is on the music. Credited, and, yes, yes. yes so he's not a member of the community. He was never a member of the community, but he was a great. He was a great composer. He died in the nineties, but he was a great composer. And uh, I see. And he accepted to search. He was not only a great composer, but a very humble one. So uh -huh. he would compose something. And if it didn't work right with the with the assembly with the crowd, we would send it back, and he would rewrite it so that the chord be easier, or mm -hmm. people not make a mistake at the end. And right. for every song there's a file a thick file really? uh, uh, of searching that's why he always wanted the name of the brother who had contacted him to be on the books also uh, brother Robert because he said it's a collaboration okay. it's right. a collaboration so what is it about music because and I don't know this is specific to Taizé music but definitely we see it in Taizé music that is conducive to prayer or to a mystical experience I think the texts are very well chosen Okay. Of scripture, there, there are not many words. Uh, I mentioned the, the music often. Uh, the qu there's a quality. It's a simple music, but there's a quality to yes. the music. You know, yes. there's a, there are Berthier. Now the brothers are composing, but there, there, there's a quality, I think, to the music, even if it's simple and uh, it's, 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 it is musical. And uh, there's an atmosphere also. No, there's an atmosphere. There's the icons, semi-darkness. Mm -hmm. Even the bodily position in Taizé, there are no pews. People are sitting on the floor. Right, so there's a whole experience. There's a, there's a, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you're, yeah, you're, all your senses, the early Christians knew that, that all our senses are made to participate in the prayer. Right. Yeah. We listen, but we also are called to see. There was the incense. And the candles. But even touching sometimes the icon. So it's, 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 it, we have to come out of an intellectual approach to prayer. No? It has to involve our whole being, uh -huh. our whole body, uh, our hearts. The heart is... Is a tricky word, you know. Sometimes people say heart is, you know, our feelings. But in the Bible, the heart is. The German bishops translated it very well in the Catechism for Adults. They said, "The heart is the real me." Mm. And I like that definition very much. You know? mm -hmm. It's not often that you're called to be who you really are. Right. You're sometimes called to pretend you are this or that, or but to 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 realize God wants me to be me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an enormous discovery you know, when, when, right. when prayer makes that possible, that God is really interested in you. He has time for you as a person. And, and I think the music also somehow communicates that. that you, many people don't know they can sing. Yes. They think you know, singing is for people who have trained voices, who have studied music. And at Taizé, I can sing. Everybody can sing. I had sing. no idea I could sing. And you yes. can become part of it. And, and yes. your voice is, is called to be heard. And it's beautiful. Um, so you mentioned briefly that there are conferences or gatherings that happen all year round now. So anyone can go. When you were a young man, you went for a week. Is that an experience that anyone can participate in? Practically throughout the year, there are people uh, more from, from February, March to November. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get huge crowds, like in the summer, it's three to 5,000 people. Every week we're spending wow. a week at Tese. From around the world. From around the world. And, and we have gatherings outside of Tese, always after Christmas, there's the big European meeting. Yes. Two months ago, yeah, we were in Strasbourg yeah. for yeah. 30,000 people yes. for five days. And, uh, and sometimes on other continents, we'll be in Texas at the end of uh, uh, in April. We'll have uh, two gatherings, one in Dallas, April this one year, in Houston, 2014. 2014. Yeah. And then March, we'll be in Austin, Texas, just oh, before beautiful. that. So, so, yes, anyone can come, but the focus uh, for these gatherings outside Tese is, most, outside Tese is mostly for the 18 to 35-year-old, okay. 17, 17, 18 to 35. And then we have people over 35 can come for a week to Tese itself. There are quite a number who come. Quite a number of okay, people. I see. Um, so if people want to find out more, they can just go to the website, teze.fr. Yes, teze.fr, and they can even see a short video, and they can even register yes. on, online. Now it's become much easier. Okay, Brother Emil, that's all the time we have, but thank you. 
it's been good to see you. I knew you were coming, and of course, when I saw you, I was surprised. I don't know why, because I knew you were coming. Um, but I'm glad that we had a, a chance to speak today and, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. It's good to see you again. That was a conversation I had with Brother Emile of Taizé when he was in Canada last year. You can learn more about Taizé at taizé.fr, and that's T-A-I-Z, or Z-E, T-A-I-Z-E, dot F-R. You can also watch full interviews with Brother Emile on Witness with Father Rosica and on Catholic Focus with Sheridan Sanders, both on demand at saltandlighttv.org and also on Roku. Here now is the Teze community with Ubi Caritas, Deus Ibi Est, from their album, Ubi Caritas. We're listening to the Teze community with Ubi Caritas Deus Ibi Est from their album Ubi Caritas. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. A few months ago, we learned all about the Catholic publishing world from Jerry Gallopo, the chief publishing officer at the Chicago-based J.S. Pollock Company and their music division, World Library Publications. Jerry is an accomplished liturgist, author, and composer, and he has a new book. You have put on Christ, cultivating a baptismal spirituality. And to tell us how this baptismal spirituality can help us, particularly in our Lenten journey, I'm now joined by Jerry Gallopo. Jerry, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much, Deacon Pedro. It's great to be here. So I was telling you, I'll tell our listeners, just before we, we started the interview, I was telling Jerry that this book completely changed my whole Lenten approach. Um, and, I, and I do want to get to that. But before, so this is uh, an idea, and once we start talking about it, people will know what it is, uh, that is specific to people preparing for baptism, adults, RCIA, catechism, that kind of thing? Or, do you, or is this something that is for everyone? Well, I think it's 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 a uh, it's quite interesting because it's a it's a fairly recent discovery, uh, not just for uh, catechumens or those the elect preparing for baptism, but for uh, for all Catholics uh, during Lent. If I could, for a second, yes, this is, these are the things that I found striking when I was looking at the Vatican Vatican Council's Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. Yeah, <coughs> pardon me. It says that the season of Lent has a twofold character primarily by recalling or preparing for baptism and by penance. Because uh-huh. most Catholics, when you ask them, you know, what do you think, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you say the word Lent? Penance, yeah. Penance, penitential practices, yeah. prayer, fasting, almsgiving. No one says baptism. recalling yeah. or preparing for baptism. And the Church documents, including the RCIA, are very consistent in naming this recalling baptism as the first thing, even before preparation for baptism. So in a sense, I, I think what the Church is saying, sure, there's a penitential character to the season, you know, there's no escaping that, but primarily what we're talking about here is a 40-day 
retreat or 40-day preparation time for what we're going to do, which I think is the most important thing that any Catholic does every year, is that annual renewal of baptism promises at the Easter Vigil. Okay, so let, let, let's let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. Um, it's for everyone. It's a recent discovery, not just by you, although it was just recent discovery by you, but also I've discovered it thanks to you. Um, that Lent has a baptismal, a twofold character, equally important, not just penitential, but also, but also baptismal. Correct. What, what, what is it? So two questions. Why is our baptism so important, and why do we recall or renew our baptismal promises every year at Easter? Well, it's a, the first part of your question is great. Why is our baptism so important? I just finished uh, preaching a, a parish mission last night, actually, at a local parish here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And one of the evenings is completely dedicated to talking about recalling uh, or, or rediscovering the power and potential of our baptism. And most Catholics that I come in contact with just don't think about the fact that they're baptized. No. It's, it's an event that happened, whatever. Um, I don't remember don't it. Know I know that it happened yeah. because I have a certificate that proves it. Yeah. But the whole sense that, the for me, well, it's not for me, it's for, for the Church, our whole life as a Catholic is spent trying to figure out what it means to have been baptized, which is why I, I, I came up with the title of the book, uh-huh. You Have Put on Christ and Him You Have Been Baptized, is one of the, the acclamations that can be used during the rite of baptism. Yeah. Well, what does it mean that you have put on Christ. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'm still trying to, I'm 56 years old, I'm still trying <laughs> to figure out what that means yeah. in my day-to-day life. Yeah, me too, me too. And that's essentially what happens at baptism, we say, you know, you, and that's what the white garment symbolizes too, you've put on, exactly. put on Christ. Um, in the book, you, you, you very eloquently say that um, many of us, and, and I'm, a, I'm an ordained minister, I would not be a deacon had I not been baptized. Exactly. Many of us wouldn't be doing what we're doing, wouldn't be sitting at Mass every Sunday had we not been baptized. So, so that's the first part of the question, that our baptism is the beginning of the journey, that's where it all began, that's of importance. Why do we need to recall it, remember, remember it, and why do we do so as a community at every Easter Vigil? Well, as much as we probably don't want to admit it, we Catholics... Uh, can be a very forgetful people. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> for me, I think that this annual remembrance of our baptism is exactly that. It's to remind ourselves through this 40-day period of fasting, but preparation for what happens at Easter when we celebrate the Paschal Mystery, Christ dying and rising, that we were configured to in baptism and continue to be configured to with our, with our weekend celebrations or daily celebrations of the Eucharist, right. that we forget who we are. You know, that the, the, the society is trying to tell us that we're something else, that we're supposed to be number one, that we, we can find salvation in a big screen TV, or we can find salvation in our, in our retirement plans. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and we get bombarded with all this stuff all the time, and sometimes we just kind of stray away from the centrality of what it is that God's doing in our hearts. And Lent is the time to prepare for that moment at Easter when we once again say no to the devil and yes to Christ. Okay, so is it... Is it simply as as kind of rem- reminding ourselves what we believe, or is it more than that? Because that renewal of the baptismal promises is basically saying, this is what I believe, and we're proud to profess it in, in Jesus Christ, right? So is it more than, than that? Because we do that at every Mass when we say the Creed. That's correct, but it reaches a, a, 
a real poignant a poignancy uh-huh. when in the context of the sacred triduum the holy three days uh you know where we we celebrate and focus on what god accomplished in christ that we are called to at that time once again you know and when i say say no to the devil and yes to christ we're answering a question that says do you do you reject satan and all his empty show and we're yeah. constantly surrounded by that empty show mm-hmm. and i really think um it's a moment it, unfortunately in many parishes that just kind of happens and everybody's sprinkled with water and then we move on mm-hmm. but if people are really uh, prepared for and like you did in your homily prepared for and catechized about the fact that we spend this time to remember who we are and to remember what God has done for us. It's kind of that, um, it's kind of that booster shot that, that, that we need to remind ourselves that um, my life was changed forever on that day that, that I was baptized. Mm-hmm. But I have to, I've I got to remember that because I, I, I'm not speaking for everybody, but boy, I get forgetful myself. Yeah, so do I. Now, you mentioned my homily, and, and just to tell our listeners, so I last weekend the readings were perfect because they were all about baptism, the, the covenant after the flood, and St. Peter actually says that the, the, the flood prefigures baptism. Um, so 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 it's clear so uh, so when i read your book i was i was looking for these baptismal themes in all the prayers and the readings and i will continue to do that during lent how can the regular uh, you know the, the, a catholic sitting in the pews uh, uh take a take a more baptismal approach to their lenten journey well i think we can't certainly not erase what has been has become a part of what our Catholic DNA is, and that's yeah. the penitential character of the season. And I don't think yeah. there's any attempt by the Church to want to uh, to step back from that at all. But mm-hmm. for me, when I discovered all of this stuff, uh, I, I think what, what we did in our parish, I went through my own personal journey one Lent, and, and as you said, listened to scriptures, the songs, the, the texts, the, the, the actual uh, official prayers that the priest was praying in a completely different way, listening for those baptismal themes, yeah. you know, light, water, salvation, all of that. And then what I did with our parish staff, and this is a critical thing, is to get a parish staff, to get the, the deacons and the priests, the bishop, on board yeah. with what this is all about, so that this is what we did the following, the following year, our catechesis and our approach and what we put in the parish bulletin, and, uh, you know, what, what parishes put on their website, however they get information across, little pamphlets that they hand out at the beginning of Lent, that this, is, that, that this catechesis is happening so that the person in the pew becomes attuned to something different. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the way you talked about, the way you, you know, focused on Noah and, and the, the prefigurement of baptism in that, yeah. in that reading last week, those two readings last week, I think people just need to continue to hear that, because um, if we don't continue to hear it, we're not going to get it to sink into our hearts and minds. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's worth also mentioning that there isn't that, that the two strands are not in in opposition one from no. the other. The penance and baptism. I mean, they're they're all together. It's all we go into the water, we go into the desert, we 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 death to sin in the water. That's pen. I mean, that's all all the same thing. It's just maybe a slightly different option um, focus. Sorry. Now the little book. It's a little book. I read it literally in in I don't know an hour and a bit. Um, there there's the part of the book that is uh, informational, educational, telling us what the church teaches, and then you also give us some resources. There's a reflection session. Uh, uh, there are uh, 
there's another, uh, 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 I guess, a script for a, for a little uh, reflection ritual that you can do with catechumens after they've been baptized. How, what is your hope as to how people can use this book? Well, I think for me it was important for me to write out my own story on how I rediscovered this power and potential. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, that that was the starting point for it. But then it, it just kind of unfolds into ways to try to address the question that you asked about parishioners in the pews, but just baptism in general. And this and this little service that I have in here is just a not necessarily just for catechumens after baptism, but I uh-huh. I suggest the parishes. Uh, once a year in the fall, do something like this. Okay. That they bring people together or in small retreat groups or small groups to just get people to, to understand, you know, what this is all about. I had a woman at the parish mission last night. I asked, I asked a general question, you know, what did this mission mean for you? And the mission was all focused on uh, living a sacramental life. And she raised her hand, and I, you know, pointed to her, and she had a lot of difficulty speaking because she was so emotional, and she said, I just need to say how grateful I am that my parents loved me so much that they had me baptized, and I now know how much that changed my life. Right, yeah. No, and that, yeah, I, I think just kind of hammering that home for people is, is, is just so important. Part, the, 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 the book ends with uh, several suggestions for ways to actually cultivate this kind of baptismal spirituality uh-huh. in the parish. And, um, and these, are, these are things that I've tried and tested in my, in my parish experience and have found um, t- to be really helpful. Catholics are, um, can be hard to change or hard to, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, to, to help think differently, although when, when you start talking about an event that happened that, that really changed the course of their lives with their own response and faith, of course, because mm-hmm. this is not magic that we're talking about, um, I, I've really found that people really come alive, especially those who have maybe settled into some malaise about their faith or, you know, this is what I do, I go yeah. to Mass on Sundays. Yeah, and Lent is a good time to kind of renew that, but you're certainly not saying that it's only Lent. We need to have this attitude throughout the year. Jerry, we have to leave it there, but I, okay. I'm, I'm very excited, and I hope you can tell that I'm very excited about this book, <laughs> and, uh, and I hope our listeners are too, and uh, that they can start uh, you know, maybe using it during Lent and throughout the year in their own parishes. Great. Jerry Gallopo is Vice President and Chief Publishing Officer for the J.S. Pollock Company and its Music and Liturgy Division World Library Publications. Jerry is a popular parish mission presenter and retreat leader, author, and composer. His latest book, You Have Put on Christ, Cultivating a Baptismal Spirituality, is published by World Library Publications. You can learn more or purchase the book at wlp.music.com. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Matthias Michael, with Son of God and Son of Man, from his album, I Believe. Say you were 
That was Matthias Michael with Son of God and Son of Man from his album, I Believe. For the last couple of years, the National Catholic Youth Conference, NCYC, has hosted a music talent contest, NCYC's Top Talent. And the winner gets to record their own album, thanks to the support of the Buzz label. And we've spoken about this in this program and featured uh, many of those singers on this program. The winner of the very first NCYC's Top Talent was a young man by the name of Matthias Michael. He's not so young anymore, and Matthias has developed into a singer-songwriter in his own right. And so we're very happy to be speaking with him today on our program. Matthias, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much, Deacon Pedro, for having me. It's a pleasure. So I, I didn't want to make it sound like you're super old now, because you're still young. You're st- <laughs> <laughs> um, that first album was, what, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago or so. What You were at NCYC as a participant. So tell me a little bit about what was it growing up. Were you always, you're in a Catholic family. Was it always, you know, a very faithful growing up in your home? Yeah. Yeah, Mom and Dad taught us, you know, from the get-go, um, everything is God-centered. They did a really good job of not, not really burning us out. Um, and, and, you know, in every way they could, they included, um, you know, the God Center of everything we did, be it sports, be it music, anything we did, um, it was all for the greater glory of God. And, uh, you yeah. know, um, I witnessed, witnessed my, my parents, you know, live that out every day. My dad was a, a musician in the Army, and my, oh, my yeah. mom was a, a school teacher. So uh-huh. um, they just, they led by example, absolutely. Right. Uh, 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 brothers, sisters? 
yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, right. And uh, we're all good products of that, I guess. Um, okay. All very active and involved in our faith. So as, a, as an adolescent, you didn't go through a period of, uh, you know, this church thing just doesn't make any sense? Yeah, that kind of actually came for me um, you know, towards the end of high school and college. And I never mm-hmm. necessarily completely strayed away from the church. But I was hit with a lot of tough situations. You know, I had a pretty easy growing up, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I didn't go through anything profound. I didn't have um, too many huge struggles. I was a really regular kid. Mm-hmm. So the first time I ever met some, some real struggles, you know, just uh, adjusting to college life, being away from home and my family and my good friends, went through a big yeah. breakup, and, you know, yeah. all those things kind of crashed down on you at once, and you don't know how to handle them. Yeah. Um, so that was my kind of first, um, I guess, life challenge, and a lot of a lot of music arose from that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a big advocate for you know finding finding the light in the darkness, and and for me, music was that. And uh, uh-huh. going through those um, struggles, you know, late high school, early college, that kind of um, inspired me to write more music. You know, this was a little bit after, I believe. So yeah. that's kind of where Song of Grace came in. No, and that's good. It's those moments that that strengthen our faith, and also, like you say, make us better artists. Um, Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, so was there a lot of music in the house growing up as well? Oh my goodness, yeah, all the time. Like I said, uh, Dad, dad. was—he's uh, actually a conductor for the U.S. Army Band for 26 years. Uh-huh. Um, so every weekend was a concert in the park, or um, you know, every afternoon was hanging out in the band hall watching Dad run rehearsals. Yeah, um, you know, and then around the house, you had my sister who was a singer and my younger brother who loved music, and it was—it was—we were the music family, <laughs> absolutely. You know, we did family masses. Yeah, um, you know, the whole bit. So, uh, when did you start writing music or writing songs? I journaled since I was real little. Yeah. Um, since elementary school, I always kept a journal of some sort. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of transforms, um, I guess, my passion for music and my passion for writing kind of um, naturally kind of uh, came together. Yeah. Um, so, when I was in, I guess, middle school, the earliest I got my first um, laptop, and I remember getting on GarageBand and, you know, putting some tracks together, and yeah. that really excited me. So, they, like I said, the two kind of naturally came together. I kind mm-hmm. of put the journal with the, with the, with the music writing. So that was, that was probably in middle school at some point. So when you were at NCYC that year that you ended up entering the, the contest and, and winning, was that, did you participate in the contest with one of your own songs? Yep, yep. It's, uh, song's actually on the album. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, oh yeah, it's called "Pick Me Up Today." Right. Okay. Yes. And then the songs. So once you won, I guess the the opportunity to record your own album. Did you have a lot of the songs, or was the song songwriting part of that process with with South Solo and the Buzz label? Yeah, I was still really, really figuring out the whole songwriting thing. Um, it was nothing I did super seriously. Yeah. Um, the song I won with was was essentially a prayer that I just wrote down and. Um, my mom was trying to convince me to do this contest thing, and I was reluctant, yeah. but I ended up doing it anyway. So I took that prayer that I wrote down, it's really poetic, yeah. and I just put some guitar chords over it, and that was my first real, um, I don't know, songwriting on the spot, I guess. Yeah. So when I won the competition, it was that all over again. It was like, all right, time to put out an album. And it was like, oh, man, I've never really you know, uh, developed a whole bank of songs. So it was really a learning process for me. That whole album was... Um, uh-huh, you know, absolutely. my first step into those waters and Sal was a really big help to me yes. throughout all that you know we, we co-wrote a lot of the songs um, and mm-hmm. he you know showed me the ropes if you will since then I've kind of branched off and uh, I guess matured a little bit um, yeah. and again Song of Grace is, is really a, a model for that 
um, uh, kind of a taste of what's to come. Yeah, right. And Song of, so Song of Grace is your new single. I'm going to get to that in a second. So Sal Solo and I are good friends. He's been on this show many times. And, and so his the Buzz label is dedicated to helping young Catholic singer-songwriters develop not just as songwriters, as performers, but also as ministers. So do you find that you that that's where you want to go with your life uh, in terms of doing music ministry or, or the music that you do as ministry? Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, my songs are really, um, when it comes down to it, the prayers. Yeah. Um, and I feel that my passion in life is, is sharing these prayers um, with, with young people um, and older people alike. Um, my big you know, mission is to, to go out and spread the Word of God through these prayers, through these songs. Right. Um, so that's that's the direction I'm kind of going in now. And are you in college still right now? Um, I did a year of college at Mount St. Mary's University, um, and that was actually the year I was making, um, I believe, I was there. Uh-huh. And throughout that process, I figured out that I couldn't juggle both. <laughs> right. I had to kind of go all, yeah. all in. Um, so... Uh, after a lot of prayer and discernment, um, I decided that, that God wanted me to take that leap of faith, and um, right. I started doing ministry and music full-time, and there's okay. been really no looking back since then. So that's what you're doing now. So Song of Grace, tell us about that song and how that came about. Yeah, Song of Grace, um, like I mentioned, after I believe, I kind of went through this big transition period in, mm-hmm. in my life, um, just going through some struggles that I've never gone through before, and from that, a lot of uh, the biggest fruit was a lot of new music. You know, it's been real late nights in the university chapel, just yeah. gotten away, just yeah. trying to put all my feelings on paper. And Fall of Grace was one of those. Um, so um, it, it's essentially a, a prayer of, of surrender. You know, I think, um, especially nowadays in this generation, we fail to really just be sometimes, just to take some quiet time and to just listen. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always we're always yakking. Um, I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Song of Grace is really an encouragement um, for people to to kind of just open their ears and, and silence their minds for just a little bit every day, um, and surrender to God in that way. Right. So, and we're going to play Song of Grace at the end of the program. So, um, just before we do that, uh, you're uh, you're doing ministry. You're 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 doing speaking engagements. You're uh, writing music. So, are you working on a new album? Is something coming down the pipes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We just um, actually finished up another song uh, last week, which will be used as the the theme song for uh, an organization called Catholic Art Work Camp. Oh, uh, really? This year's, yep, this year's theme song, um, we just got done with it. Um, nice. So that will be included on the album that's soon to come. Um, we're still kind of feeling around for a release date, but we're definitely uh, in the works on the new album. Okay, nice. So make sure if there are any other singles, you send them this way and we'll play them. Um, so new album in the works, uh, lots of uh, ministry plans. Uh, it's been great speaking to you, Matthias, uh, uh, meeting you, I guess, over the, over the air. Uh, yeah, totally. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. You can learn more about Matthias Michael at his website, mmichaelmusic.com We're going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And here now is that song that we were just speaking about, Matthias Michael's new single, Song of Grace. Let me fall on you when I am weak When the world has brought me to my knees There's nothing that this voice can speak These tears are my surrender 
a house on broken ground. Oh, ashes, ashes, it all falls down. My walls are shattered at the sound of my father calling me home. Father, wash my red hands, make them pure like you are, oh Lord. I love you. I surrender everything. Yes, I love you, Lord. I give you all my. Stand in between you and the path I'm supposed to choose. Wake me up and knock me down. Let the song of grace resound. We're listening to Matthias Michael with his new single, "Song of Grace," and that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org/radio, and reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro.